You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite Spirituality. So great to be back with you again this week as we continue a series that we began uh, with the beginning of Advent. And we are discussing over the course of the four weeks of Advent, uh, different stages of our journey through Advent. Uh, today, uh, I am joined, as I always am, in the studio by Francis Harry, my co-host. Today, Francis, we're going to pick up that theme, but uh, we're going to uh, focus on a very special Carmelite saint. Maybe you could introduce her for us. Oh, yes. It's St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. Do you remember who that is? St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross is also known as her birth name, Edith Stein. And so we have a... Um, a lecture that she gave entitled The Mystery of Christmas that we thought would be good to bring on for this week's uh, discussion as we prepare for the Christ child this Advent season. Yeah, I think um, as we discussed when we did the opening program here, we challenged, um, I think, ourselves first and then all of our listeners. If you were to commit to make this the best Advent season of your life in preparing for the arrival of our Lord at Christmas, what would be necessary uh, to do that? And we both shared some ideas, and Francis and I, in fairness, shared some ideas um, off the air both before and after that program. One of them actually was recommended by Francis and also was a question that one of our listeners uh, had written in about. And so um, I'm going to ask Francis to lead us in prayer, and then I want to take some time for her to introduce um, a very important uh, means of our guiding ourselves through the remainder of the Advent journey, and most especially in light of what we are going to celebrate tomorrow. But Francis, could you lead us in prayer first? I, yes, I would be happy to do that. And this actually is a prayer um, that St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross made up. And so we think of her spirit um, and let us pray in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, my God, fill my soul with holy joy, courage, and strength to serve you. Enkindle your love in me and then walk with me along the next stretch of road before me. I do not see very far ahead. But when I have arrived where the horizon now closes down, a new prospect will open before me, and I shall meet with peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, um, as I said, Francis, <clears throat> we received a question about this. It was a passing comment in a whole list of things that we had advocated for uh, preparation for the season. I think this one, most especially because of what will be happening in our church tomorrow, is very timely. Yes, tomorrow the church celebrates the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And I had mentioned to Mark in preparing this Advent season, one of the things I was doing was redoing, uh, renewing my consecration to Jesus through Mary. So a Marian consecration to bring me closer to Jesus. And so I wanted to just offer an 
uh, four resources that you might want to consider. Um, you can do this consecration anytime, but usually uh, one starts it on it and finishes it within 33 days, such that the 33rd day ends on a Marian feast day. So I believe there are more opportunities coming up um, for you to start that consecration. But of course, we can always just say simply, I consecrate myself to you, most Virgin Mary, um, and to you, sweethearted Jesus, or whatever form you want to say, but very simply. But uh, if you want to do it for more formally with more in-depth study, I'd like to recommend the preparation for total consecration, according to St. Louis de Montfort. That's probably the most widely known. Um, there's also, in the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. It's a consecration preparation for the triumphant victory of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And it uh, has a lot of emphasis on the virtues, which I liked very much. Then there is consecration to Jesus through Mary following the plan of St. Louis de Montfort. You can find more information about this one and the other ones at www.myconsecration.org. Um, and then the one I did this year, which seems to be very popular, um, is uh, very profound. It's called 33 Days to Morning Glory, a do-it-yourself retreat in preparation for Mary, Marian Consecration by Michael Gately. Um, and I like that one very much. So I will put that on our resources on our webpage um, at CarmeliteConversations.com under resources so that uh, you have access to that. Um, and I want to thank the people who wrote in asking about that. I would love to share that with you. I'm happy to share that with you. And I do invite everyone to renew or if you haven't made a consecration to do so. Because when we go to Mary, she only leads us deeper into the heart of Jesus. And really a good thing to do. You don't have to be a Carmelite, obviously, to do this. Even non-Catholics, of course, are devoted to Mary. But a good thing to do once a year. Pick a time throughout the course of the year that you want to renew or begin a devotion to Mary. Um, certainly uh, ending on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is a great way to do it. Uh, but as uh, Francis said, if you go to the website she indicated, there are a number of uh, calendars for specific dates uh, for feasts, and they will um, give you the specific dates when you are to begin uh, that consecration. So it's very helpful in that regard. I think the next one begins on December 31st and ends on February 2nd. Um, so, uh, but you can choose to do it anytime, but uh, uh, ending it on a Marian feast day is special, extra special. Right. <laughs> and I'm expecting a, 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 a bountiful uh, plethora of grace to fall. <laughs> and you're going to be sharing some of that with your co-hosts, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and all the listeners, we're all in this together. We're the body of Christ. Absolutely. Well, as I said, today we're going to be having a conversation uh, on uh, Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. She is actually also uh, somebody who we are now talking about because of a request from um, uh, a dear listener. I want you to know that we do listen uh, to um, what is uh, communicated, written to us, and we talk about it, Francis. We will uh, discuss what uh, programming we might be able to put together, uh, always in, in, in an attempt to respond to uh, individual requests from uh, both our Carmelite uh, community of listeners who we know we have out there, as well as uh, others who may not necessarily have a devotion to Carmel, but are, are um, friends and 
and uh, listeners to the program. So this is in response, I want to be up front and, and say it's in direct response to the uh, interest that uh, one of our listeners expressed about hearing more of uh, Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedicta, and we'll be doing more programming on her as well. And you can find a place to email Mark and I at thecarmeliteconversations.com or on our Facebook page, Carmelite Conversations. And then the phone number to call in if you want to be part of our uh, conversation tonight is a toll-free number, one 866 3336279 and that's here um at the station there'll be an operator standing by and he'll connect you uh, uh when we pause when we take a <laughs> breath but we'd love to hear from you so give us a call and um with that let let's start our conversation about Edith Stein which is also St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross yeah Edith Stein of course um was a very well known professor in Germany really worldwide she was quite well published um, she was a student of philosophy uh, and later a lecturer and professor of philosophy. Um, we won't go over her story, and I don't know, Francis, if we have actually done a program on her. I didn't think we I had. I looked so. a little bit through the library. Yeah. but We've mentioned her in passing. Yeah, we'll have to go back uh, and do that. She is somebody I would strongly advocate that uh, as a Carmelite, if you are a Carmelite, that you become familiar with. There are a number of key texts. Of course, we did one of her texts just recently, The Science of the Cross, mm -hmm. um, which I would um, advocate as, as a first uh, introduction to her, or perhaps The Hidden Life is another good text. Uh, she wrote so much, even before her conversion. Uh, but she is really um, um, a wonderful model, and I think especially for... Uh, the Christmas season for some of the reasons that we're going to bring out in our conversation and also for the difficult times that we face here today in our own society and in, in the difficult times in the world. She lived through World War II. She was martyred. I will give away the end of the story for those who don't know. Uh, she was martyred in Auschwitz um, uh, because of her Jewish heritage, but also because of her uh, intellectual uh, prowess, quite frankly. The Nazis wanted her removed. So uh, she was, in fact, uh, martyred. Uh, in Germany at the end of the, uh, actually in the middle of the war. Um, and that's a compelling story that we're going to cover at some point. But today we're going to have a conversation, Francis, on a lecture that she gave in January of 1931, actually 13 January specifically. This was to a group of Catholic academics. Um, and it focuses on uh, how we must approach God as little children, and, and I don't want to leave that point too briefly because she introduces a very profound understanding of that need of ours uh, to re-enter this encounter with the living God as children. And she uses the mystery of Christmas to do that in this lecture in 1931. Now, we're going to go through the lecture, but um, I thought it was first important that we give you at least a little bit of background without going through a full biographical sketch, but a little bit of background on who Edith Stein was. Well, she was born the seventh <coughs> of 11 children in 1891, and it actually was on October 12th that she was born, which on the Jewish calendar is the Day of Atonement, which we think is very significant with her role As did in, she. in Auschwitz. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and this was in Germany where she was born. She was raised in a traditional Jewish household. And here again is another 
This cast Carmelite saint who had a parent die mm-hmm. when they were young. She was only two when her father died, and her very strong and very conservative mother took over the family lumber business and was successful in that. Um, Edith was a gifted student, and she went to the University of Breslau, intending to be a professor of history. I know her mother wanted her to be a doctor, Mm -hmm. uh, but she wanted to teach. Um, Her university studies then brought her into the academic discipline of philosophy, which she soon developed a passion for. Yeah, in 1913, she transferred to Göttingen, where she continued to study. And in 1915, she passed her original uh, initial examination, began to lecture, and also began to be exposed in her academic circles to Christianity. Now, uh, again, without going through the broad background, it's interesting to note that from this deeply devoted Jewish upbringing, she actually became... Uh, an agnostic, even arguably uh, atheistic in her um, understanding of uh, her faith, and and went through this difficult academic period of her life, which no doubt was uh, the Holy Spirit preparing her for the mission that she would ultimately be given. Uh, But also in her academic circles and in the dialogue around various uh, philosophical tenets, she was exposed, of course, to Christianity. And there was a, a very special moment when the war began. Um, her nature, uh, very uh, empathetic to others, she volunteered for the Red Cross. And this is, I want to clarify, this is World War One. Yes, she, War, yeah. World War One. Yep. And she actually received the Medal of Honor from Germany for her uh, sacrifices at one of the military camps where she served the wounded soldiers. And it was there that uh, the death of one of her teachers in in the war, um, when she saw the hope displayed by this teacher's widow, uh, the hope uh, combined with the service that she had in in the battlefield, this began to get the wheels rolling in Edith's mind to consider the power of the cross of Jesus Christ as well as its mystery. She began reading the New Testament, and I know she began, she also read in the library of this widow, She a book fell down, that's the story, and it was the book of her life of Teresa of Avila. Right. And so she picked it up and read it all in, in one, one sitting. sitting yeah. Yes, and she <laughs> said, this is the truth. And that's what really, I think, was the clincher uh, to to bring her over into the Catholic faith. Um, but she uh, she was in the academic world with Professor Edmund Herschel, who was one that's of the right. fathers of a philosophical discipline right. uh, called phenomenology. I had to look it up again because I can never remember. But... Um, it's basically the philosophical <laughs> philosophical study of the structures of experience and consciousness. Right. <laughs> and I'll, there's I'll a more detailed that. answer there, but I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> we could talk about it later. But she was at Freiburg University in 1915. And as uh, Francis just um, uh, outlined, the history, which we'll go to in, in much greater detail in a future program. But uh, on New Year's Day, 1922, she was actually received into the Catholic Church. She was baptized with the name Teresa, of course, mm-hmm. relating to the story that uh, Francis just shared with us uh, because of her devotion to St. Teresa, who she credits, obviously, with uh, bringing her to the faith, ultimately. And I want to say something here. I think this is very important for us to realize. 
Edith saw herself, um, this came over the course of a number of years in study and prayer, obviously, which we'll talk about, uh, but she came to see herself uh, first as this child, um, which is why the focus on the mystery of Christmas, the lecture that we're going to talk about today, uh, but also began to see herself as a living sacrifice, and more so a living sacrifice for her own people. It's really a very powerful story yeah. uh, leading up to, of course, her own martyrdom at Auschwitz at the, uh, in the midst of World War II. Uh, but, but she really began to interiorize this realization of personal sacrifice, that she herself would be that sacrifice. And what I want to focus on here for just a moment is an appreciation for how difficult it is for someone of the Jewish faith or uh, of any other uh, faith, non-Christian faith, to make that uh, conversion, to, to, to uh, in many cases perhaps have to leave behind a family and friends and associates, professional or, or social or otherwise, to make that decision. We, Francis, I mean, in fairness, I think we would have to admit we haven't had to struggle for our entry into either the Christian faith or the Catholic faith, um, but um, our struggle continues in the midst of it. But for so many who have to make that um, transformation and that conversion, it can be a very difficult thing. But the grace of God is always <clears throat> there. Always there to carry us through. And, and it is especially true, and this is frankly the, the reason I bring it up, um, we know now of the terrible tragedies that have occurred uh, in San Bernardino, California. Um, we understand the the conflict, and I don't want to get into the politics of it, um, that is playing out on the world stage between Islam and Christianity. And I just recently had the privilege of finishing a book uh, about a young man, an academic himself, a doctor, who eventually um, converted from Islam to Christianity. And this is certainly not a, a, a program on apologetics, but, but just to introduce how difficult an experience that might be. And the reason I say that is for so many um, who are seeking the truth in Jesus Christ, and he is the only source of truth, let's right. be very clear about that, um, we have to appreciate how difficult that can be. We have to appreciate that there must be great sacrifice made in order for someone to come to that uh, decision and to be able to make that uh, a conversion. Um, and in the case of Edith Stein, later St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, we see not only a realization of that from somebody who experienced it, but also a personal sacrifice, which links to an interesting story that we're going to share with you later in the conversation. Uh, but but counsel and I guess encouragement for all of us uh, to be praying for those who need conversion now and recognizing our sacrifices are every bit as important. Well, I, I have to bring up this one quote of Edith Stein's on truth, because uh, it pertains to what you just said. Um, the quote is, do not accept anything as the truth if it lacks love. And do not accept anything as love which lacks truth. Yeah. And then another one is, many of our contemporaries would want the cross to be silenced. However, nothing is more eloquent, eloquent than the cross made silent. The true message of pain is a lesson of love. Love makes pain bear fruit, and pain deepens love. 
Yeah. Her great spiritual mentor, of course, was St. John of the Cross, and you can hear St. John of the Cross through that, yes. though tempered, tempered, I would argue, with a very deep appreciation for the philosophical uh, principles and tenets that were both um, uh, ancient and medieval and those that were very prominent in her own time, like phenomenology. Edmund Husserl, who you just mentioned, actually was uh, in many ways one of the fathers of this science of phenomenology, and of course she was uh, an avid student of his. And you know, for 18 years, <clears throat> she uh, grew in her reputation as a lecturer and a writer um, until she received national claim in Germany. Um, and, you know, she did a lot for women's rights, actually, and uh, helped get the women the right to vote and uh, what is the role of the women. So there's a lot uh, of writing in that capacity. But in 1933, as the Nazis began to impose their will on the Jewish people, Edith Stein, she went so far as writing the Pope, hoping to get him to speak out on this matter. Yeah, it was also time that those who listened to her lecture not only witnessed her brilliance, but also they began to see something more in her, something very special, in the words of one of the students at... Um, uh, university. university. Yeah. yeah Go this ahead, is, Francis. This is what the student says. She emitted collective strength, an inner reserve shown forth as is often a characteristic of those rare individuals who possess a rich spiritual life that is at once both trained and controlled. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I never had that uh, thought about any of my college professors. <laughs> <laughs> All of them I thoroughly appreciated, by the way, and even more so today. But I don't know that I would have characterized them in quite that way. And she obviously had something special. Um, 1933, Edith seems to have come to this realization that God was calling her to something much deeper. Praise God. She visited the Carmel at Cologne, where she requested admission. Now, we've moved very quickly through uh, the details of her life, and that's intentional because we want to get to this lecture that she provided. But at the same time, it's important for us to... Um, you know, recognize some of the key moments in her life. And obviously, uh, after entry into the church, uh, she's seeking this deeper relationship, and she immediately turns uh, to the source of um, strength that she had drawn from, from the early stages. And of course, that's St. Teresa of Avila. Um, and then there's this other great quote uh, that she, uh, where she begins to realize this personal call uh, Francis, this realization of the call to the cross. She said, quote, I knew that it was his cross that was now laid upon the Jewish people. Most didn't understand, but those who did must take it up in the name of all. I wanted to do that. He must show me how. And I, I don't want to belabor it. I would like to, to be honest with you, but uh, we don't have time. Um, this realization on a very personal level for Edith Stein as to what role the Lord was calling her to, which would have significant ramifications for her own Jewish people at a time in history when it was terribly uh, important to them. Well, um, in October of that same year, 1933, she was accepted into Carmel. She entered, and of course, familiar uh, with a Carmelite feast as she was, um, she chose to enter on the 14th day of October, which is that day preceding St. Teresa of Avila, a day, St. Teresa of Avila's feast day, a day, of course, that we normally fast. Right. So again, this idea of sacrifice uh, seems to run through her entire experience. But you know, her mother didn't take this news very well. 
Um, she had not only lost her daughter to the Catholic faith, but now her daughter is going to a monastic order that she'll be cloistered in, so she won't be seeing her. And so this was very painful for both Edith and for her mother. So um, there, there was some uh, great angst in that. Right. Uh, and, 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 a, and a really a severing to some extent of the relationship. Her mother loved her dearly, but uh, clearly there was a break in the relationship. And then in 1936, her mother took gravely ill. In fact, on the 14th of September of that year, 1936, Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, Edith Stein, was to renew her vows to Carmel. And during this, this is the end of that story I mentioned just a moment ago. She had a very profound experience, Francis. On the 14th of September, the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, at the conclusion of the celebration of the renewal of vows, she remarked to one of the sisters, When it was my turn to renew my vows, I knew clearly and distinctly that my mother was with me. That same day, a telegram arrived with the hour of death stated at the precise time when Sister Benedicta had felt her mother's presence. She was convinced that she had now a faithful benefactor to help her reach her goal. Rosa, her sister, soon arrived in Cologne for a long-delayed visit with her sister and also to realize her desire to convert to Catholicism. So we only have a moment before we have to go to break, and there are a few other biographical details we want to cover, but just quickly, the realization that her life would be a sacrifice, ultimately the sacrificing of her uh, relationship with her own mother, uh, severed as a result of her decision to join the Catholic Church and then further to go into a monastic order. But the realization upon her mother's death at the time that she's renewing her vows is that her mother is not only there with her, but we now know because of that experience, which profoundly affected Edith Stein, her mother was saved. Her and, mother was at Christ's side. Yes, and her mother did start writing little notes in the letters <clears throat> that Rosa would send Edith. Mm -hmm. So there was a reconciliation Towards of sorts. Towards right. And that, I think, is the grace of God, too. And, you know, here we are, uh, this grace of her mother's death and this uh, presence that was made known and then the conversion of her sister. Very or, powerful story. Yes, yeah. very, very powerful. Well, we're going to take a break. Uh, and we'll be back and pick up on that uh, reflection, that lecture that she gave in 1913. And remind you, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. Let there be light, let there be light again For into the dark the sun has sent We will see and we will see once more For unto us the light is born Emmanuel, the word is come. 
You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now return to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality with Mark Danis and Francis Harry. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. We're just concluding the brief biographical sketch of Edith Stein, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, before going into a lecture that she provided in 1913, well before her conversion, by the way. I should point that out. It's interesting uh, that... Um, uh, we have this deep uh, reflection and an understanding of the Christian mystery uh, that long before her own conversion. But we'll get to that in just a moment. Just two other quick uh, biographical notes. In um, Because of her um, significant reputation in the country of Germany, by 1938, it was no longer safe for Edith Stein, uh, Teresa Benedicti uh, of the Cross, to remain in Germany. So she was transferred to a Carmel in Holland. Uh, Then in 1942, in retaliation for a letter that had been published by Dutch bishops, all the non-Aryan residents of the monastery uh, were moved to concentration camps. Of course, this included uh, both uh, Teresa and her sister, um, uh, Sister Rosa, who Francis mentioned earlier. And then in August of 1942, uh, 9 August specifically, Edith Stein was put to death in the gas chambers at Auschwitz. Now, that might seem like a rather a sudden end to this biographical sketch, but 
I think it's more important to understand the message that Edith carries even today, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, and that is her perspective on her own life. Uh, Though she had significant accomplishment and notoriety, um, she did not view any of that as her lasting legacy. In fact, she gives a quote uh, that I'm going to ask Francis to read that I think is much more indicative of the way that... uh, Edith Stein viewed her life. And this, I think, is symptomatic of of showing her humility. She says, It is not what men can accomplish which helps us, but the sufferings of Christ. To share in that is my request. Yeah, that is uh, really the sort of capstone comment to a life uh, of sacrifice, of an understanding that she was called uh, to the cross. She wrote about the cross extensively. Again, I mentioned that St. John of the Cross was her spiritual mentor in so many ways. Um, but in the context of history, you know, we always have to put our saints in the context of history in their own time. Um, the conflict of the Second World War, her own legacy as a Jewish um, a woman, an intellectual, someone who had uh, the difficult um, breakup of her relationship with her mother as a result of her conversion, and then that profound experience of realizing her mother, uh, her mother's presence at her renewal of vows, um, places her very um, deliberately in the role of one who was sacrificed for the conversion of the Jewish people and for the sacrifices that they were undergoing. Uh, during the horrific days of the uh, of the Second World War, and you I, know, uh, uh, bring, being brought up in a Jewish family, um, she would have been very familiar with the Messianic promises. And according to Edith Stein's novice mistress, when she joined the Carmel Monastery, and who is also the author of her first biography, this would be Sister Teresa Renata of the Holy Spirit. Um, Edith had an early premonition of her call to sacrifice for the Jewish people. And then she had a quiet resolution to follow this call. She seemed to understand that anyone who wished to grow closer to Jesus must do through these two means, prayer and sacrifice, which I remember St. Therese would say, my only weapons are prayer and sacrifice. Very powerful words from uh, St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And for us today, the realization, as I said a moment ago, Uh, with the difficulties we face in the world, and they don't need to be elaborated here. We all see the horror on our television screens and hear it on our radios every day. Um, What is a Christian to do? It's a fair question. What is a Christian to do in response to this? Of course, so many of us, uh, myself on many occasions, grow angry over it, Francis. We can begin to get a sense of despair if we we allow ourselves that. Um, But if we step back and we look at it, objectively and through the eyes of faith as saint Teresa benedict of the cross did what is our response you've just said it prayer and sacrifice we have to sacrifice all the difficulties that we are experiencing in our lives and we all of course are we all carry our individual crosses as we talked about just a few weeks ago um, but also prayer that is our response to the chaos of the of the circumstances that we see playing across the, the globe every day. It was no different in, in uh, Germany in the 1940s than it is today, and the response is exactly the same. Christ calls us to sacrifice in prayer. And so this Advent, you know, we're getting ready uh, with anticipation for the birth of the Christ child, renewing that mystery. Um, but uh, we can journey through this Advent 
through the lens of St. Teresa Benedicta um, in following the star of Bethlehem, this star which we must look for to seek it out in this night of darkness, the, the darkness in the in the world, and then this star representing the light of Christ. And when you think about it, Christ, he leaves heaven to journey to earth and then to pierce the darkness of sin that is wrapping the whole world around. You know, last week we talked about um, St. John the Cross and a little bit about how he provides us insight on the journey uh, from darkness to into the light of Christ. And, and we'll talk about that some more. But right now, you know, we have a lot of darkness surrounding us. And, and some people are choosing to stay in the dark. They don't comprehend the light in the dark because the followers of, of the light, those are the children of the light who are waiting with great anticipation for the joy of Christmas. And this light continues to confuse and confound the darkness of the world, just as it did in the time of Jesus. Yeah, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross tells us that the, um, the verse which must ring in our hearts at this time of year is, let us go to Bethlehem. For her, there's a great deal being said in that simple phrase. For St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, we are to model in our own experience the arrival of the Savior by likewise approaching the scene of our spiritual birth as little children. And this is why we said, Francis, last week, what is it that you would do to make this the best advent of your entire life? Well, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross, in this um, lecture, uh, would reflect back to us a need to re-engage, um, if you will, in this journey to Bethlehem. And our spiritual rebirth, if you will, uh, happens in that little uh, cradle in Bethlehem. That's how she sees it. Very poetic, actually. Right. In fact, she tells us specifically uh, from the lecture, um, she, she's talking about um, the contrast from the way that the world in both Christ's time, her own time, and I could certainly argue our time, would respond to this. Um, she's saying, you wise men, lay down your wisdom and become like children. Th this is what she's putting in the words uh, of the Lord uh, as an infant. Um, you kings, give up your crowns and your treasures and bow down meekly before the king of kings. Do not hesitate to take up the burdens, sorrows, and weariness which his service demands. So yes, approach his little children, she says. Be like innocent shepherds who, though they were merely tending to their earthly cares at the time, nonetheless, they listened to that call in the night from the angels, and they journeyed to a place where they would find this Christ child. This is the journey of the interior life, which she writes about much later in a book called The Hidden Life. Uh, but here she's saying this is the journey of the interior life. It is now for us the journey of prayer and sacrifice. It means braving that night of darkness, of cold, of the unknown. Imagine traveling through the desert. Again, she paints this very uh, poetic image. We're drawing, of course, from her actual text as we, as we share these thoughts with you. But she's painting this very poetic image of a journey through the cold darkness of the unknown of night, which is uh, uh, unfortunately... Uh, analogous to so many of our individual journeys through Advent. But she's saying, take this journey. The angel has spoken. He's spoken to your heart. He's spoken to your soul. Follow 
what it is that the angel has guided, and that is journeying to Bethlehem. And when you think about the Magi, what they went through, and how it was a long journey, it was a hard journey, it was difficult, and yet what they read in the signs of the the cosmos that God was writing through his stars and his planets, you know, they knew uh, the call and, and they're going to seek it out. There's a hunger awakening within them that drives them forward through all this danger and darkness and, and unknown. And the shepherds also, they're in their, uh, the dark in the fields. They've been praying. They live a solitary life. And here comes an angel. Can you imagine what that would be to be approached by an angel and be told the Messiah is born, the Christ child is born? Um, and in contrast, then you have these People who knew some information, the um, scribes of King Herod, you know, they were blind. They knew about the time and the place of the birth that was in the prophecies, but then they had no desire. They turned their eyes away. No big deal. And then, of course, Herod, fearful of losing his own fame uh, rather than his soul, dispatches the soldiers to kill the infants. And so you have... Lots of people who have knowledge, but then turn a blind eye. Yeah, it's, she she uses this great analogy of Herod dispatching, as you said, the soldiers, uh, essentially killing the means of his own salvation. That's what oh, he attempts yes. to do. And isn't this true for so many who find themselves in the darkness um, and, and are misguided by the events of this time of year? We 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 reach out, uh, unfortunately, for for many of us, and whether it's through. Uh, you know, trying to acquire everything we think is going to bring us happiness. Maybe it's uh, the darker side of addiction or any number of things that take us off course. We kill the very means of our salvation, which, of course, is within us. It's that light that's within us. That's what this season is about. That's what the angel has called us to. And it's an interior, as Francis said, the 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 um, wise men. This was an interior call to them, a realization that something was drawing them to this uh, unknown spot in the world called Bethlehem. So you and, have people, you know, they're giving up hope right now uh, of finding the light, and they turn to worldly solutions instead of spiritual solutions. And you have a, a great example of that, I think, from the New York Times. Uh, well, unfortunately, we do, and it's actually the New York Daily News. Oh, sorry. I want to <laughs> give credit. Thank you for correcting that. Um, yeah, the most explicit example of this is uh, something that just occurred on December 3rd. Now, this is after the terrible events that we've uh, just mentioned and we, of course, are all familiar with in San Bernardino, uh, the massacre. What is a Christian's response to that? We've said it already. Prayer and sacrifice. It isn't anger. It isn't animosity. It isn't uh, destructiveness. It's prayer and sacrifice. That's a hard message. But on December 3rd of this uh, uh, this year, uh, just uh, uh, a short uh, number of days ago, the New York Daily News, and I will call them out on this directly, uh, posted on its front cover in bold letters this title, God isn't fixing this. And then they went on to identify a number of uh, presidential candidates who called for prayer in the wake of the San Bernardino massacre. And they did so to mock these individuals. It doesn't matter their political persuasion. This isn't a political statement. What they essentially did was mock prayer and mock God and say, God isn't the answer to this. Let me tell you, listeners, and it's one of the few times I'll be as adamant about this. If God isn't the answer, we don't have an answer. Right. Because man does not have an answer to this. Right. I don't think our political leaders, right or left, I don't think our psychologists or our uh, economists or our military or any any other source we as worldly people might turn to have an answer 
answer for this. God is the only answer for this. And I call out the New York Daily News for their uh, crass and and ill-informed perspective uh, on suggesting somehow that uh, God doesn't have the answer. Well, this is an opportunity for us to pray for the unbelievers, right? Because we know prayer changes things. God is in charge and he hears the prayer of the poor. And we are poor, very, very poor. We need his grace and favor, but we have to be open and receptive. Well, and this is just what uh, Edith Stein was reflecting on in this lecture. She was saying that the worldly wisdom, the political agendas, are not able to solve the problems of our time. She's looking at it from 1913, so, uh, you know, approaching the, sec- the the First World War, I'm sorry. 1931. Uh, well, well, 13, when she, oh, when, yeah, okay. when she uh, lectured, uh, provided this lecture. Uh, but, but that's precisely, she would say, what's wrong with the world today. We want either to avoid venturing in prayer to the light within us, or we want to effectively kill the source of that light by blotting it out with worldly darkness. Right. And that's exactly what's playing out today, and unfortunately, playing out through this Advent season. Well, St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross had a significantly different message for her own time. Uh, She would have stated it again as she did in World War II, and certainly for our time, uh, as she would later have, and again in the midst of her own trials in World War II, I mentioned. So we can take confidence because we know she's been through this darkness. She's journeyed to her own Bethlehem. We can take confidence in realizing that we're listening to somebody with a prophetic voice. We mentioned in Francis Red. Uh, the reaction of one of her own students who listened to her lecture, um, that this woman was somebody who had lived through the trials, some of the worst trials of life. Um, and, and we know from her biography that she overcame that up to and including um, acceptance of the fate which awaited her, her martyrdom uh, at the hands of the Germans. And, and rather than uh, resisting that, fighting and struggling, uh, railing at God because of it, um, she instead uh, accepted it as a, as a call to sacrifice and, of course, uh, live through a life of prayer. So this Advent season, as we follow the star of Bethlehem to the Christ child, there are three signs of the child of God that Edith brings out. And I'm going to list them. And then Mark's brought up some many points about each one of them. But I wanted to list them right up off the top of the bat. Three signs of the child of God. Um, one is oneness with God. Two, oneness in God. There's a big distinction there. And three, thy will be done, which we pray in the Our Father daily. Yeah, so those three were actually the centerpiece, if you will, of her lecture. Um, How she was struggling uh, with this question, how do we live out our life? She, again, was a very gifted and uh, highly regarded uh, lecturer in philosophy and history, uh, and was uh, very, uh, um, you know, well recognized not only for that, uh, but also for her uh, significant uh, contributions and sacrifices for her own country. She begins with that simple theme oneness in God. Like her spiritual mentor, St. John of the Cross, she always goes back to Scripture to find the source of her philosophy for life. And she reminds us in the vastness of this universe, our own smallness, but also the simple realization that despite what may appear as catastrophe from our human perspective, this verse should ring true for all of us. All things work to good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That was a key phrase for her. That's Romans eight twenty eight. 
She goes on to point out, however, that the Lord ultimately directs us on paths that lead beyond this earth. We have to keep this in mind, the metaphysical uh, aspects of our existence. She reminds us of that old adage, God became a child of man. This is a direct quote from her, so that the human race could become children of God. And she also goes on to remind us of the clear teaching of the church in this regard. If one of the members suffers, all of the members suffer with it. What is she saying? We must be one in God, as she said, uh, uh, as the first principle here. And scripture supports that very argument that we as a people all suffer the horrors and the catastrophes that we witness both in San Bernardino and Paris before that and in so many other places of the world. Don't just diminish those who are affected directly by them. They diminish the human uh, uh, body, the mystical body of Christ. And she goes on with this uh, other uh, significant quotation. She's also reminding us of the model for this journey, the one who walked it first, who uttered her fiat so that we, uh, too, would know how to respond to that angel's invitation. And Francis already introduced this at the beginning of the program. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Of course, the model for that is our blessed mother. Let us go to Bethlehem. She was drawn uh, to that. It was her life's calling to be drawn that way. So we see the darkness all too clearly, but, but you know, we've got to seek the light in the midst of the darkness. And we must understand that it's not the worldly light of human reasoning, human intellect, human planning. Those will not eradicate the darkness of our world. Only this interior light of Bethlehem will do that. In fact, this is what she says the Romans, this is Edith talking about this kind of uh, pursuit uh, or, or being re- in the darkness. She said the Romans remained the rulers of the land and the high priest and scribes continued to keep the poor people under their yoke. Anyone who adhered to the Lord carried his heavenly treasure invisibly within himself. His temple burden was not removed from him. On the contrary, many others were added. Yet what he bore within himself was an exhilarating strength which softened the yoke and lightened the burden. This remains true even today for every child of God. The divine life which is enkindled in the soul is the light that came into the darkness, the mystery of the holy night. The one who bears it within himself understands its meaning. For others, on the contrary, it remains an enigma regardless of any explanation. The entire gospel of St. John concerning the eternal light, which is love and life, deals with it. God is in us and we in him. That is our portion of the kingdom of God established by the incarnation. Oneness in God. The second principle that she talks about this oneness in the mystical body, the human race, always a mixture of light and darkness. But those who carry that light of Bethlehem are the only ones who will be able to do anything about eradicating the darkness, as Francis just read. The circumstances didn't fundamentally change. The exterior, the worldly circumstances did not fundamentally change. But nonetheless, this idea of oneness in God is important to St. Teresa Benedicta of the Cross. And she has a quote that supports this as well. For Christ, for the Christian, there is no strange human being. He is in every instance the neighbor whom we have with us. 
and who is in most need of us. It makes no difference whether he's related or not, whether we like him or not, whether he is morally worthy of help or not. The love of Christ knows no bounds. It never ceases. It never withdraws in the face of hatred or foul play. He came for the sake of sinners, not for the righteous. If the love of Christ lives in us, then we do as he did, and we seek after the lost sheep. So oneness of God, oneness in God, building on her theme, she continues with this uh, idea of how we must be drawn in as one family. And her next major theme, stresses in, in her lecture, is this need to follow his will in all things. Here, we we pray that in the Our Father and how if we are in union with Christ, we do the Father's will, um, then we're going to be in a good spot, right? He's going to take care of us. Yeah, and she gives us great consolation in this at the same time. She says, this is what gives us the confidence and faith that we need. This is what gives us a consolation in the midst of our struggles. She also reiterates St. Teresa of Avila's admonition about the need for both our obedience and the power of intercessory prayer. Obedience to that oneness of God, intercessory prayer for that oneness in God, and then the ability then to follow his will is what gives us the confidence that in fact we are in concert with God and we are um, going to receive in all cases uh, his protection, his guidance. Francis read a moment ago that guiding light that is within us is a consequence, is a result, is the benefit of a life of prayer and a life of sacrifice. Well, Mark, we're already near the end of our hour. Do you have a final point before we do our closing prayer? Uh, You know what? I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, that uh, page 19, she has a very powerful quote that I don't want to get off uh, without our uh, sharing with our listeners. I think that's uh, important in sort of summing this up. All right. I believe I have it here. One has time. Have we talked about that quote? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All yes, right. Yeah, yes. this should this should really knock your socks off if, and catch you uh, during this Advent season uh, if you've been um, not really thinking about what we're doing. One has time for so many useless things, all sorts of stupid stuff gathered from books, newspapers, and maga- magazines. I'm laughing because Edith Stein wrote that. Yeah. Sitting around in bars and gabbling on the street for a quarter or a half hour. All these are diversions which waste time and energy like crumbs. As a challenge to the whole day, and a challenge to all of us, um, should it not be possible to put aside a morning hour in which one is not distracted but recollected, in which energy is not wasted but gained? So Sounds like what we've been challenging our listeners to do, Francis. Absolutely. So uh, let's make this uh, Advent week one of trying to put the first hour um, up for the Lord, and he'll take care of the rest of the day for us. All right, I have this closing prayer. Um, Edith wrote this for her sister Rosa's baptism, and I'm only choosing a couple stanzas from it, but I think it pertains to our um, conversation today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord God, you have led me by a long, dark path, rocky and hard. Often my strength threatened to fail me. I almost lost all hope of seeing the light. But when my heart grew numb with deepest grief, a clear star rose for me. Steadfast, it guided me. I followed, at first reluctant, but more confidently later. My heart has become your manger, awaiting you. 
but not for long. Maria, your mother and also mine, has given me her name. At midnight she will place her newborn child into my heart. Ah, no one's heart can fathom what you've in store for those who love you. Now you are mine, and I won't let you go. Wherever my life's road may lead, you are with me. Nothing can ever part me from your love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Francis. A reminder that you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations, a Carmelite spirituality, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be with you next week to do another series on St. John of the Cross and the mystery of Advent. God bless. Thank you.